Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. Faith should be evidenced in, you know, if you really believe something, you'll do something. And so we're going to be looking at some examples of how faith worked in the lives of the faithful this morning. So our first example is out of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23. And this is, I titled this example, Faith That Overcomes Fear. Faith That Overcomes Fear. Verse 23, by faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. Now we'll know in other passages of scripture that the two parents, the, the mother and the father of Abraham was Amran was the father and Jacobed was the mother. We'll read about them. Well, it says that they saw that Moses was a beautiful child, and so they were not afraid of the king's command. Well, did they spare Moses uh, because he was good looking? You know, it's like, what if he had been, you know, looked like one of the other families, the other side of the family? You know, it's like, well, too bad he looks like, he looks like your side of the family. It's, you know, it's not what that means. What does it mean that he was a beautiful child? Well, the word is asteos. And it's actually, this is what it means, one who dwells in a city and by consequence is well-bred, polite, and eloquent. So you looked at this baby and go, this is a cultured baby. No, I'm just kidding. Um, the Greeks had another term that they used for the opposite of an asteos, which was also known as the urban person. That is the agroikos. And that's the one who comes from the agros, if you know, the agronomy or uh, agriculture, comes from the field. In other words, there's a country bumpkin and a city bumpkin, you know? So, um, so again, what does that mean that they saw that he was a beautiful child? This is the bottom line. The bottom, and I think a little bit of it was lost in the ancient Hebrew, but the bottom line is this. They perceived something remarkable in this baby. And what it was, was, was God's call on his life. And they perceived it. How many of you parents, man, a newborn baby, and you go, man, this, this, this is a special baby. And hopefully all of our children are special. Well, the reality is every child has a call of God on their lives. Every child. There's not one child that doesn't have a call of God on his child. All children are special. Well, Amran and Jacobed. They saw their baby, Moses. They didn't name him Moses, obviously. But they saw their baby. They recognized that God had a call on their lives. And by faith, they weren't afraid of the edict of the king of Egypt, which was to kill all the male uh, babies. And so their faith triumphed over their fear. And that's another important thing. Faith does triumph over fear. Um, they hid him for three months. And, uh, you know, I mean, how do you hide a crying baby? You know, after a while, you know, it got a little too difficult. And so then they put him in a basket in the Nile River. And you guys know the story. If you've seen the movies or been to Sunday school, you know, you know what happens. Pharaoh's daughter's out bathing herself in the, in the, in the river. And she sees this basket. And maybe the Holy Spirit just kind of gave him a little pinch. So he cried. So, hey, what's that noise? You know, and anyways... They retrieve the baby. She retrieves the baby from the basket and uh, recognizes that it's one of the Hebrew slave children and takes, you know, she just has compassion on it, takes the baby in and raises the baby up in her household. 
And you guys know the story. Miriam, Moses' older sister, is there standing off in the distance kind of watching to see what happens, make sure that, you know, everything's going to be fine with the baby floating in the water and stuff. And she runs up and she offers a Hebrew wife or Hebrew woman to nurse the child. And, of course, it was Moses' birth mother. And Pharaoh's daughter says, that's great. You know, nurture him, nurse him, wean, and once he's weaned, he'll come into the into into the palace basically and live with the king there and live with Pharaoh's daughter. Can you imagine? Oh, well, first of all, that's a total blessing, right? God arranged it that she could nurse her own child. But can you imagine what went through the the minds of the two parents? Man, we've got this baby for just a little window of opportunity. Let's teach him as much as we can about faith, about the God of, of, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Let's, let's instill in him a faith and a belief in the God of Israel. Obviously, they did that. Warren Wiersbe said this, a home should be the first school of faith for a child. You know, sometimes parents that kind of like expect the church, you know, bring them to church and let the church teach them about Christianity. Well, the first school is right there in the home for you parents. All children, as I mentioned earlier, have a call of God on their life. And all parents have a small window of opportunity to instill faith into the lives of their children. Because, you know, before you know it, man, they're, they're grown and they're out of the house. Uh, you know, I look back and I remember we were going through the diaper stage with our kids going, man, are we ever, we had four kids and they were all, you know, within a year or two of each other. So, I mean, we were diaper, 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 you know, and, and, and going through all those stages. Finally, like, man, is this ever going to end? Well, before you know it, that was gone. And then came the driver's licenses, you know, and then, man, is that ever going to end? I've got, you know, insurance for four teenagers and stuff. Man, it was tough. But it passed, too. And now I look back and go, man, where do those days go? You know, anyways, the faith of Moses impact, or excuse me, the faith of Moses's parents impacted Moses. I mean, imagine this. There, there's the deliverer of Israel. And I believe it was because of the faith of the parents and what they instilled in their child. And why do we know that it impacted Moses' life? Well, look at verse 24. It says, by faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. Their faith bore fruit. We don't, we don't think about Moses' parents. But think without them, where would have Moses been? You know, so their faith bore fruit and they, their, their, the fruit of their faith was their son, Moses, the deliverer. How did Moses even know the Hebrew slaves were his kingdom, king, kindred brethren? The parents obviously took that time to teach their child about that. So the next example we have here is faith that discerns. See, it says that um, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, in the literal translation of the Bible, the, the article the is actually not there. 
It's, it's, it literally means he refused to be called son of Pharaoh's daughter because that would have been a title, a title of royalty, kind of like the Prince of Wales. You know, there's a title, and uh, it's not just the title that he refused, but think about it. He, he turned away, he turned his back on all the perks of having that title, the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And instead, he chose to identify with the people of God, the Hebrew slaves, even if that meant suffering affliction. Why did he do that? It says he esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. You know, in, in John chapter 8, verse 56, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees, and he says, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was, and was glad. Well, evidently, Moses also saw the day of the coming Messiah, also. And so Moses esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. Now think about it. He had all the, re all the, all the treasures of Egypt were at his fingertips because he was the son of Pharaoh's daughter. But Moses was looking to the reward. You know, think about it. Living in the world as the monarch, uh, you know, he, eventually he probably would have ascended to the throne of, of being a Pharaoh in Egypt. It had its rewards. There was comfort. Obviously, there would have been comfort. There would have been pleasure. There was great wealth and everything. But Moses looked at that and said, man, it's passing. It's fleeting. Yeah, it's, it's great, but it's, it's, it's not going to last forever. He forsook the immediate, the temporary, the reward that the world could offer, and he looked to the ultimate lasting reward of the kingdom of God. That's, a, that's something that's a challenge for us all the time. We live in a culture that's so, you know, we live in a very wealthy culture. I think of other countries, um, you know, where people, they don't have options. You know, it's, they're, they're, they'll be thankful if they have rice to eat. And we've got, you know, man, you go to the stores like, what do you want to have today? Well, we had burritos yesterday. Let's have, you know, let's have steak today. You know, we have all these options. We are a very wealthy people very wealthy people. I remember my mom when she's growing up in Europe, in the Netherlands, and she said they had meat once a week on Sundays. That was it, pretty much. You know, you just didn't eat meat because it was, it was too expensive. And so we are blessed in this thing. So for us, it's kind of a challenge too. You know, what do we set our eyes on? Well, his faith enabled him to discern between what was important and lasting and what was insig insignificant and fleeting. Paul wrote this, 2 Corinthians 4, verses 17 and 18. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So Moses had the faith to discern between what's important and what's not important. The next example we see here is faith that endures. Look at verse 27. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, but he endured as seeing him who is invisible. See, not only did Moses look to the reward of the coming Messiah, look to the reward of the kingdom of heaven, but he was able to endure because he looked to the rewarder, to God himself. That's something the Lord's been laying on my heart uh, last, I don't know, week or two, you know, as I've been praying and reading scripture and stuff, is, is just the importance of focusing on the Lord himself. 
You know, it's not just, you know, I need to have strong faith. No, I need to have faith in something, someone. And my faith is in Christ. My faith is in God because he's faithful. And so that's been kind of on my heart. Well, the secret to being able to endure is seeing God with the eyes of faith. Now, the Egyptians, they worshipped what they could see. They saw the Nile River they worshiped the Nile River. They saw the sun, they worshiped the sun. They saw these different animals, they worshiped the animals. They worshiped everything that they could see with their natural eyes. And that's exactly what the world does today. The world worships what it sees, wealth, power, popularity, you know, uh, materialism, whatever the world sees, that's what the world worships, people themselves. They worship themselves because that's all that they see. Well, you and I, we worship the king, eternal, immortal, the invisible God who alone is wise, to whom be honor and everlasting power. That's who we worship. Well, the next example we see in verse 28 is the faith that saves. Verse 28, by faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. And you guys, again, you know these stories, right? When you read the book of Exodus. It took faith to believe that taking the blood of a lamb and and wiping it on the doorpost of your house, it would take faith to believe that just doing that simple act would actually spare you from death, spare you from the angel of death. It took faith to believe that. Later on when they're in the wilderness and, and many of the children of Israel are grumbling and complaining and God sends snakes among them and they start getting bitten by these poisonous snakes and they start dying. And the Lord tells, Ab- uh, tells Moses, take a serpent. You guys know the medical symbol, right? The, the medical symbol, a serpent on a stick. Take, take a serpent, a brass serpent, put it on a pole and anyone who looks to that serpent will be healed. Well, that would have taken faith too. You mean I just, all I have to do is look at that serpent and, 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 I'm, and I'm healed? It's no different than looking to the cross, looking at what Christ died on, did on the cross for us and saying, you mean just believing that he died for my sins is enough to save me, putting my trust in him? Absolutely. Moses had faith. He had the faith to obey, to, and, and, and he instituted the Passover based on God's command. But he had the faith to do that, and he led the nation in observing the Passover, and they were delivered that night. The next example is faith that delivers. Look at verse 29. By faith... They passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. Now, I want to read this to you out of Exodus chapter 14. This is the story that this is referring to. Exodus chapter 14, verses 10 through 14. It says, And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the children, excuse me, the Egyptians marched after them. So, they were literally between a rock and a hard place. They were in this gorge area there, and they had the Red Sea in front of them. They had these mountains on both sides, and they had the Egyptians behind them. They were boxed in. And so verse 11, verse, uh, it says verse 10, So they were very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, you have taken us away to die in the wilderness. Why have you so uh, dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? 
Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Man, what great faith they had, <laughs> right? By faith, they passed through the Red Sea. Man, what an example of faith. I'm being sarcastic, by the way. Verse 13 says this, And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. Now, I want, to, I want you to get this. It wasn't until after Moses said this that God said, go down, raise your, put your rod over the water, lift, raise your hand, and I'm going to part the water and you'll pass through on dry land. Moses didn't know that, and yet by faith, he trusted that God would deliver him. He didn't know how it was going to happen, but he knew that God is faithful. You know, you and I, we get into situations where we don't know, I don't know how I'm going to get through this situation. Trust that God is faithful. He may not give you the answer, but if you'll trust him, he will deliver you. And so Moses put his trust in God, the deliverer, and because of Moses' trust, He's an influential person. Because of his trust in the Lord, the children of Israel passed through the Red Sea. And then the writer says something interesting. He says, and when the Egyptians tried it, they drowned. What happened? What was the difference? Well, here's the difference. The children of Israel walked by faith. The Egyptians, they saw that way and go, hey, we're going after them. They walked by sight, and they were drowned. That's the difference. Well, Moses' faith impacted. So let me back up here. Moses's parents, their faith impacted Moses. And we see that in the life of Moses. It, it, what they did had a, had a definite impact on Moses. Moses, as I just mentioned here, what his trust in the Lord had an impact on the children of Israel. But it also had an impact on the next leader of Israel, and that is Joshua. And now we're going to look at another example. This is an example of faith that pulls down strongholds. Faith that pulls down strongholds. Verse 30. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. Can you imagine how ridiculous that would have sounded to not only the Israelites, but the, the people in Jericho? God says, I want you to go around, march around the city, one day, or one, just march around one time every day. Don't say a word. Don't do anything. Just march around the city. On the seventh day, march around seven times. And then, you know, he, you guys know the story, what he told them to do. But could you imagine? That would have seemed really silly. I mean, it's militarily, it's like, what is this? This is not, this is not strategic. I mean, what, what are we doing? And I think the inhabitants of Jericho probably thought the same thing as well. This is what Paul said, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. You just think about it. By faith, those walls came crashing down. You can actually go down to Jericho, the city of Jericho in Israel today, and uh, there's the old remnants, the old, the old remnants of the old city of Jericho. You can actually go and physically see where the, where the walls came down. Fascinating. 
here's the point. Here's the application for us. Are there strongholds in your life? Maybe there's strongholds in the, your relationship with someone, your, your marriage or whatever. There's difficult things. You know, we try to fight it with the warfare that we know what to do. You know, well, you know, we pick something that's, that we think is going to take down that stronghold. It's faith that removes that stronghold. Trust God. You've got a situation in your life where there's, there's this wall up between you and someone else. Man, trust the Lord God. He'll, he'll take that stronghold down. Pray for the person. While you're praying for the person, the Lord will change your heart as well. It's an amazing thing. The next example here we see in verse 31 is the faith that trusts. We're going to be talking about Rahab. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. And I want to read that little passage of scripture too. That's in Joshua chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. The spies Joshua had sent out. So the, the Jericho was right on the other, right at the edge on the inside of the promised land in Canaan. The children of Israel were on the other side of the Jordan River. It was flood staged there. So, you know, the, the inhabitants of Jericho probably like, nobody's going to come and get us right now because how could they even cross the Jordan River to get over to us? Well, the Lord God encouraged or commanded uh, Joshua and he sent some spies over. They crossed the river, and they, they went and they spied out uh, the city of Jericho. They meet this harlot named Rahab. She takes them, invites them into their home, and uh, you guys probably know the story. While she's there, word kind of gets in the city that she's taken in these, these Israelites, and so then they come. She hides them on her roof and, uh, and basically sends the people that are searching for them another way, and then she, lets, she basically saved the lives of these spies. But this is what she said to the men that were, that were hiding at her place. She said, and this is in verse 9 of Joshua chapter 2, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath you got to think about this is, not an, this is not an Israelite. This is not a child of Israel. This is a pagan person with the oldest profession on earth, a sinner in a pagan culture, and yet she recognized that the Lord God is God alone above heaven and earth. This is an amazing statement coming from someone with a very limited understanding of who God was. But we see the seeds of faith in her. So she says, We've heard about how God delivered you out of the, you know, out of the, how you crossed the river, uh, Red Sea, excuse me. We saw how you took out those two kings, Sion and Og. But here's the deal. That happened 40 years before. That's, that's ancient history already. 40 years before. We saw, and, and our hearts melted. Well, apparently the rest of the inhabitants of Jericho, after a while, they're like, you know, they ain't coming here. It's flood stage. We've got, a, we've got a city with two layers of walls around it. Man, there, there's no way they're going to get in here. And so they didn't believe that they would be destroyed. Rahab was the only inhabitant there in that city. And she believed 
You think about this. For 40 years, Jericho had the news that God's coming in here. They could have repented of their sins. They could have repented and put their trust in God, and he would have spared them. I'm, I'm confident of that. But only Rahab believed. And she put her trust in the Lord God, and she risked her life by hiding the spies. And she put her trust in those spies, too. Because she said, hey, when you, when you guys take this over, when you destroy this city, would you spare me and my household and my family? And they said, sure, as long as you don't tell them where we're, where we're going and we get back safely. Then when we come back, you hang a scarlet cord out of your, out of your window, and when we see that, we will spare whoever's in that household. And so her faith resulted in the sparing not only of herself, but her entire family. And if you follow the story of Rahab, after Jericho was destroyed, she accompanied the children of Israel, and she eventually marries a guy by the name of Solomon of the children of Israel. And man, what an amazing, beautiful thing. She eventually becomes the ancestor of King David and ultimately of Jesus Christ, our Savior. What a beautiful story of redemption. Well, Rahab trust. She had the faith that trusts. The next thing we're going to look at is faith that triumphs over weakness and failure. And that's verses 32 to 35. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail, uh, would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, and escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens, women received their dead raised to life again, others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Now, if you were to go through that, and you, and you know, for example, man, who stopped the mouths of lions? Well, remember the story of Daniel. Daniel in the lion's den. But obviously, there was more than just one individual. Who escaped the violence of fire? Hmm, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know, we, we could go back and we could look at all these different event, uh, individuals who through faith overcame trials uh, and because, and, but also in weakness and failure, I should say. The reason why I mentioned that is because of the ones that he mentions here. Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, men like that. And what I want to do in the next couple of minutes, I want to just briefly talk about each one of those members, uh, those people that are mentioned here. Just the first four or two. First one we're going to look at is Gideon. Now, Gideon, now, if you can read about these, these, these people in the book of Judges. And a judge was not like the Supreme Court, you know, somebody that wears a black robe that comes in there uh, and makes decisions, although a judge did make decisions. But what a judge really meant in the Old Testament was that they were a deliverer. The children of Israel, after they were in the promised land, they would start, their, they would start going after the, the idols of the land around them, the people around them, and uh, they would... God would punish them as a result, and they would be handed over, basically, to their enemies of these different nations around them. And then they would repent, 
over and over again. This happened, you know, for hundreds of years. And, and every time they repented, God would raise up a deliverer, which was a judge. And that's what these individuals were. And they would deliver from whoever at that time was oppressing the children of Israel. Well, Gideon was one that the Lord God raised up to subdue the Midianites. At that time, the Midianites had were just harassing the children of Israel in, a, in just tremendously, a very large army. Well, if you read that story in the book of Judges, an angel of the Lord came to Gideon while he was threshing wheat. And normally you would thresh wheat on a hilltop and you would, you would take the wheat up there and you'd throw it up in the air and the, the wind would blow the, the chaff away. And that's how you, you know, the, the grains would fall to the ground. Well, he's down in a valley and he's actually doing it in a, a wine press. So he's not even, it's, it's probably very not, it's not working very well, obviously. But he was afraid of the Midianites because what they would do is they would come in and they would, they would basically ransack and they would pillage and they would take whatever they wanted. And so here's this, this young man, he was young at the time, Gideon. He's thrashing wheat in a wine press. He's probably, you know, throwing it up and it's probably just landing right down on him, you know. So it's probably, you know, what a miserable situation. And he's hiding in there. And this angel of the Lord appears to him and says this, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. And if you read the story, Gideon basically says, who, me? <laughs> you talking to me? And he basically says, man, I'm the, I'm the less, least of the least, and my tribe is the least of the tribes in Israel, and you know, I'm a nothing. I'm a nothing, and you're calling me? You know, he felt totally insignificant. But God always does that. You can read through the Bible where God chooses the weak. He chooses the small. He chooses the insignificant because then his glory is shown in, in mighty ways through individuals like that. Well, Gideon felt totally insignificant. He put out fleeces. The Lord say, okay, I want you to go do this. You go, well, do you really, are you really going to do it? And he would put a fleece out. Sometimes, you know, while, I remember for a while they're thinking, well, fleece is really a good, this is a spiritual thing. I'm going to put a fleece out and see if the Lord, actually, that's a sign of weakness. That's a sign of not trusting. I have to fleece the Lord to see, I'm not fleecing him, obviously, but you know, I got to put a fleece out to see if he's going to really, if he's really means what he says. So Gideon was a guy that did that because he had such little faith. And yet... And yet the Lord used him. He led a troop of only 300 men. And through faith, they were able to conquer an entire Midianite army. An entire vast, the Bible says that they were like sand on the seashore. But it was through the faith. And God works through weak, weak people. Praise the Lord. He works, he'll work through you. You might feel insignificant this morning. But if you put your trust in the Lord God, he'll work through you. So we see that in Gideon. The next guy I want to mention is Barak. Barak in his story is in Judge, uh, Judges chapter 4. Barak was a soldier. He was a warrior. But Deborah was the judge at that time when we read the story of Barak. And Deborah goes to, and, 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 and goes to, uh, to Barak and she says this. Has not the Lord God of Israel commanded go and deploy troops at Mount Tabor? Take with you 10,000 men of the sons of Naphtali and of the sons of Zebulun, and against you I will deploy Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his multitude at the river Kishon, and I will deliver him up into your hand. I don't know if you caught that. She says, hasn't the Lord already commanded you to do this? So here's Barak. He had, the Lord had already told him, go do this. And he hadn't done it. 
And so Deborah comes up and says, hey, man, hasn't the Lord already told you? He had already been commanded by the Lord, but he failed to act until Deborah reminded him and kind of rebuked him in a way. But even then, he says, I'm still not going to do it unless you go with me. And, God's, and, and Deborah said, fine, I'll go with you, but just know that you're not going to get all the glory of this battle because of your lack of faith in that. I'm paraphrasing quite, freak, quite heavily. Well, he wouldn't go to battle until Deborah accompanied him, and she did. And by faith, they had victory over King Jabin. Uh, he was the king of the Canaanites and Sisera, his commander. Again, reluctant and yet obedient in the end, and through faith did that. The next person is Samson. Samson was called to be a deliverer from the Philistines. The call on his life was very similar to Moses. It was before he was even born. God had told his parents, you know, raise him up as a Nazarite, not a Nazarene. That's a difference. A Nazarite, uh, they're, not to, they're not to eat anything of the vine, anything of grapes or drink any wine or anything. They were, he was to let his hair grow long and, and, and just follow what a Nazarite was supposed to do. And God was going to use him to deliver the children of Israel from the Philistines. And if you read his story, he had moments of great faith and uh, moments of some tremendous victory, but he also had many more moments of great failure. In fact, the, the majority of his life, he lived after the flesh, after the lusts of the flesh. He wasn't a very spiritual person. He was a very, a very worldly person. And uh, it ended up uh, costing him his life, basically. And it's only before his death that he finally submit to the Lord fully. And the Lord, through faith, killed more Philistines in his death than he had done in his entire life. And you read some of the battles that he did. It's amazing. But here, the Lord God took somebody, and even though they were, they were worldly, they finally submitted to the Lord, and God used him. Because sometimes, you know, I look at, I look at these people in the Bible, and I say, you know what, I've already blown it. I'm a failure already. I've already done, I mean, how could the Lord use me? Well, God will use any one of us if we'll just surrender our lives to him. Jephthah is the next person. That's a very interesting story too. Jephthah was a son of a harlot. He was born what we would say on the wrong side of the tracks. He was, uh, he was in fact, his, he was a, a, you know, talk about dysfunctional families. He grew up in a dysfunctional home. His mother was a harlot. He was kicked out of the house by his brothers, basically. So he was an outcast, even in his own, own family. And he did what uh, some guys do when they're kicked out of families and they're, you know, they have a bad upbringing. They, they end up joining a gang, <laughs> basically. He was, he hung out with worthless men, the Bible calls it. And so, you know, just a, a rough and tumble kind of guy. But he was called by the Lord God to deliver uh, Israel from the Ammonites. And so he went, he obeyed, he went, and he had a tremendous victory. But he had made this really a silly vow. He said, you know, uh, if you'll give me this victory, God, whoever comes out of the door of my house to meet me, I'm going to offer that to you as a burnt offering. And uh, so he, he got a victory. And he's coming back. And his only daughter, young daughter, comes running out, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. And you can see kind of like what there. I mean, he's probably just, just like, what did I do? What did I do? Now, 
we're not going to get into that story, but basically he didn't offer her as a burnt sacrifice. That was, that was forbidden. That was a sin. Uh, that, would have been, that would have been an abomination. But what he did do is he, he kept his vow, but his vow was that his daughter basically would never marry and have children. And, and again, we could, you could read that in the book of Judges. He kept his vow. And that's why I think Jephthah in particular is mentioned here. Let me read this to you. Psalm 15, verses 1 through 4. It's a psalm of David. Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? Here's the answer. He who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. He who does not backbite with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor does he take up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he honors those who fear the Lord. And here's the clincher. He who swears to his own hurt and does not change. By faith, Jephthah kept his promise, even though it cost him dearly. And it cost his daughter dearly in that in that day and age. I mean, your only daughter. And, you know, it was so important to have children, you know, in that culture. So important to have children. And so he's but but he was faithful to his word. You know, that's a, that's a tough thing. Sometimes we make commitments and things can be difficult. Situation can change. And we're like, you know, things are different. When I made this commitment, I didn't know that it was going to end up like this. Or I didn't, know, I didn't think that he would or she would end up like this. And man, what do I do? Trust God and be faithful to your commitments. Be faithful. Be a man and a woman of your word. God rewards that kind of faith. God commended Jephthah. And I think that's why he's mentioned here. Warren Worsby said this, faith can operate in the life of any person who will dare to listen to God's word and surrender to God's will. Doesn't matter if you've been a failure. Doesn't matter if you're weak. It doesn't matter. If you'll trust God, if you'll believe him, surrender your life to him, he will work amazing things through you. Well, this next example might be a little bit difficult for us. Faith that has no earthly reward. What? What do you mean? Let me explain. I'll repeat that, though. Faith that has no earthly reward. Verses 36 through 38. Still others, and we're not, we don't know who those others were. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. These are other men and women who obtained a good testimony for their faith. And we don't have any idea who they are. Some think that Isaiah was the prophet that was sawn in two from tradition, but it's not in scriptures. We're not told that in scriptures. We don't know who they are. They're just others. God knows every single one of them. Here's the point of this passage of scripture. Not all of these saints experienced miraculous delivery through their faith. 
We read about some amazing deliveries. Not every saint experienced that. Not all these saints experienced miraculous healing through faith. Some, and I would say probably a majority of saints down through the ages, have been tortured and killed for their faith. They never received an earthly reward. They were killed. Through faith, they endured a life of suffering and death. But their faith didn't waver, even though they weren't delivered. I want to say this to you. Let me just, I'll read it to you. Never assume the absence of deliverance or the absence of healing is due to a lack of faith. I don't know if you've ever had somebody say that to you. Well, you're not healed because you don't have enough faith. And don't ever assume that. Never assume the absence of, of deliverance or absence of healing is due to a lack of faith. Why? Because of these others. They weren't healed. They weren't delivered. And yet you can't say, well, that's because they didn't have faith. No, they, they had faith because they're in the Hebrews Hall of Faith, Hall of Fame, Hall of Faith fame. <laughs> they were commended by God. So we get to the conclusion here, verses 39 through 40. And all of these, and this would have been the others that we're just referring to, but all the people that, we, that, that we've read through the entire chapter 11, and all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise, God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. All of these people, named and unnamed, listed here in chapter 11, obtained a good testimony through their faith. But they didn't receive the promise of the Messiah in his kingdom. We got Abraham, you know, he was, a, he was basically a nomad through the, Canaan, through the land of Canaan. God said, this, I'm giving this land to you and, your, and your, your descendants after you. But he never had a piece of property. He had a tent. That's what he traveled around with. They didn't receive the promise of the Messiah uh, they received the promise of the Messiah in his kingdom, I should say, but they didn't see it. They didn't experience it. The Bible says they saw him from afar off, and yet they lived their life by faith, looking forward to his kingdom. What about us? Man, we have the benefit of having experienced and seen the, the, and read about and, and, and know about the first coming of Jesus Christ. The Messiah, the Messiah came. Messiah came. He died on a cross for us. He paid the price for our sin. He ascended into heaven. And he promised to return again and to take us, where, take us with him to where he's at. We have the benefit of seeing the fulfillment of the first coming of our Savior. We have that much more reason to walk by faith, to work by faith, to wait by faith and to endure by faith. As you and I, and he says this here, verse 40, God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us. What that's referring to is the fact that the Old Testament saints, that perfect really means complete. We're going to be, the, the completion of our salvation. Now, when you accept Christ Jesus into your heart, 
You are born again. You're a new creation. You've passed from death to life already. You have eternal life. You already have the fulfillment of that promises in your life. But you're, but this, the actual, where you receive your glorified body, where you're living in heaven in eternity, we, we haven't experienced that yet. That's the complete fulfillment of our salvation. Well, for the Old Testament saints, it's the same thing. They are waiting until God's timing when we are when the, 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 the age of the Gentiles is over and we are all brought together into heaven to be with the saints from old. So they won't be complete until we are made complete. And that's when Jesus Christ returns and sets up his earthly kingdom on, on earth here, his millennial reign. Why don't you stand up and let's go, Lord, in prayer.